yeah, I don't, I feel like we could talk about this for months, actually. We could. <laughs> there's there's just, so much to do and so yeah. much to talk about. It is. You but, did ask yeah. us on Nikita, you knew what was coming. <laughs> yeah. Right. No I go back to my earlier point, it's your own fault. <laughs> You're listening to Guide to Brides, the wedding podcast. I'm Nikita from Team GFB, and if you're planning your wedding or helping someone who is, you're in the right place, because I'll be discussing trends, practical planning tips, and more with the help of some special guests along the way. So let's get started with today's episode. Hello and welcome to Guides for Brides, the wedding podcast. I'm Nikita from Guides for Brides and in this episode we'll be discussing the journey of planning a fusion, blended or interfaith wedding. An area that when I speak to couples at events is growing and sometimes comes with a lot of pressure and confusion and questions. You know, things like how do we fairly and respectfully give a nod to our cultures or faiths at the wedding? Is there a set way to do things for this kind of cultural blend? Or do we need a specific kind of venue for this wedding? What about food, decor, all of those kinds of things? So I really wanted to discuss this in the podcast because I'm now speaking to so many more couples who are wanting to have a fusion blended or interfaith wedding but I'm not an expert in the slightest. So I felt in order to make this a helpful conversation that we could all learn from, I would need to invite a couple of guests into the conversation and I couldn't think of a better pair. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Latoya Patel from SW Events and the Asian Wedding Club and Nina Beer from Occasion Queens. Hello. Hi, Hi. how are you? Yeah, really, really good. Thank you. I hope you're both well as well. Now, you've both planned and supported quite a lot of fusion, blended and interfaith weddings. Hence why uh, I thought it'd be a great idea to get you both on the podcast this discussion. So would you mind introducing yourselves to our listeners and explaining your individual backgrounds on this? Latoya, I'll come to you first and then to Nina. Sure. Thanks, Nikita. It's been so nice to be invited onto this podcast today. Um, My background is a little bit international in some regard. Uh, so I um, myself am from a Caribbean background um, and I've spent my youth um, between here and the South Pacific. On top of which I have married into an Indian family. So I have experienced the whole blending <laughs> of a wedding and blending of your sort of cultural backgrounds because it doesn't stop at your wedding, let's be honest. Since we started this business, which was back in 2012, we have focused on planning weddings with couples um, and our primary market is the Asian wedding market. We have also started, um, I say started, it's, it's a work in progress, a membership called the Asian Wedding Club as well. That's kind of us and the majority of the wedding I would say this year, having looked at our calendar, more than 50% of the weddings that we're doing are actually for couples with a blended fusion, interfaith, whatever you would like to call it, background. Amazing. So Nina, would you like to introduce yourself before we hop into this discussion? So my name's Nina and I run Occasion Queens. I have 18 years in the events industry, which I really hate admitting since I sound so old. But we were the first company in the UK to specialise purely in on-the-day coordination. So we don't do full wedding planning. We literally come in and help execute what a couple has planned. As the same as Latoya, I've done lots and lots of blended fusion, um, multicultural, multi-faith weddings. Because of the nature and how we work, it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly till nearer the time of the weddings what we do. And we do quite a lot of weddings, but I would say a half to a three quarters of them are definitely kind of fusion weddings. And like Latoya, I've also had a fusion wedding myself. So I'm Jewish and my husband isn't. So he had to play a bit of catch up there. We had a beautiful wedding where we integrated a lot of the Jewish beliefs, faiths and traditions into into our wedding day as well. You both have uh, the right level of authority to have this discussion, which brings me on to the question, why are we discussing this? Certainly at Guides for Brides, we've noticed a huge increase in questions from couples who are planning an interfaith or multicultural wedding. Have you guys noticed this as well? I mean, you both said you're doing a lot of weddings that are interfaith, multicultural yourselves. Yeah, so um, I'll jump in there first. Even from inquiry stage, people are being quite 
upfront about what it is that they're, they're trying to, to achieve and what their different backgrounds are. So we are seeing a lot more of that. Even I think it was about a week ago, we had another inquiry where they were very detailed actually in their inquiry about what it was they were looking for. And then right now, I think one of the, um, one of the couples we're working with, they have a background where one of them is of an Indian background um, and the other one is of an Irish background. They are doing something very different I would Mm. say because typically people would host two separate ceremonies they have decided that they don't wish to do that I feel as though when you're blending as long as your family has come along for the ride with you there's a lot that you can do but yes we are definitely seeing an increase in what people want to do and how far they're prepared to take it so this what I've just mentioned with doing one ceremony that has aspects of both things it's not something that is done as the norm typically people will split their ceremonies Amazing. Nina, you're nodding in agreement there. Yeah, definitely. I have done a huge amount of weddings that are fusion, as I said. Last year alone, I actually made a list. Last year alone, I did um, Mormon, Buddhist, Greek, Jewish, Christian, Chinese, Asian and humanist weddings. So, and some of them blended, some of them weren't. It was all about making sure that myself as a business owner, I knew exactly what I was talking about, went away and did my research, had to look into all the different traditions and things and how we could blend this in a way that was respectful to the couple's culture and belief, but also sensitive to things that they liked and wanted to encompass. Um, And just making sure that we weren't doing anything that was ever going to upset family Mm -hmm. or friends. Or also, dare I mention, um, you know, cultural appropriation and making sure Mm -hmm. that we kind of blended it in a way that was very respectful to to what we were looking at doing so yeah yeah so that's I don't know if I can continue here but that's a really good point that Nina made at the end um about the cultural appropriation so we're probably going to be quite mm. candid I think in what we discussed yeah no I think, I think so too <laughs> please um, dive in <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm just gonna say it's your own fault for inviting me and Nina um <laughs> but it is a really really good point so for example the couple I was mentioning where um one of Indian heritage and the other one is Irish heritage one of the things we had to do is because neither of them were actually overly familiar with um the type of wedding ceremony uh that would be associated with a Hindu uh, ceremony so we actually invited a priest to speak to them a Hindu wedding priest to speak to them and take them through what's happening with it and I was very clear that actually what if you're going to have the ceremony then you kind of need to have it with the elements that would make it whole you can't mm-hmm. just say I want to do just this bit and just this bit and then that's it otherwise that's, a, that's something completely different and we're not calling that <laughs> an Asian wedding ceremony of mm-hmm. any variety <laughs> so. <And> that's, <laughs> that's exactly but also at the other end of scale for that one Latoya is that there are ways of incorporating cultures that you might yeah. like that then doesn't mean that we're being disrespectful so for yeah. example I had a big Jewish wedding last year but they really loved Mexican culture Mexican food and everything to do with Mexico they they were obsessed with it they loved it so what we did was that um, we looked at a way of making sure that they had a Mexican theme but we looked at colors you know and we looked at the type of food that we were having and we were making sure that the food was Mexican themed but it was kosher food at the same time but we weren't then looking at having any pictures or skulls or anything along those lines like the dead dead thing like that wasn't going to come into play here because Mm. that starts crossing a line Mm. what we were doing was taking the the elements that were fun and interactive that they enjoyed without being disrespectful to Mexico. I think it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's a very, very fine balance. It can be. It really can be. But I guess the, the thing with it is that there's a lot of room to play when it comes to a blended or mixed or interfaith or whatever, whatever variety of wedding you're having. There's a lot of room to play. And actually, it's a lot of fun, although it can come with its complications, which we will discuss as we go further in this podcast. Mm. Um, it, it's definitely something that it just really energizes, I think, because you get to bring the best of both worlds to the table, which is an incredible thing to do. And it may be that one side of the family has zero experience of what the other side mm. of the family, um, you know, it sort of knows and loves. And so being able to introduce that to each side of the family is actually something quite 
amazing to be able to do and it probably will help with the future <laughs> of the marriage mm-hmm. as well that each side yeah. kind of now knows a little bit more about what the other side is up to um and how they celebrate and what they love to you know what's what they love about their celebrations and the, the final thing I'll mention on this actually is that I think across all of this and through this podcast what we need to remember is that interfaith, for example, it can be a bit more than meets the eye. So although both parties may, for example, both look Indian, it doesn't mean that they come from the same background. It could be that one has an Indian Bengali heritage and the other one has an Indian Gujarati or Punjabi heritage. Um, mm. So there'll be there'll be similarities across the board, but there will also be things that are slightly different, particularly in the way that the ceremonies are conducted and some of the traditions that the families might uh, enjoy. Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic point because, you know, there there is more than meets the eye. And I think it's also important to say that this is not something that's new either. So if you're (laughs) worried about it at all, it's not new. You're not the first people to do this. I mean, my grandparents, uh, one of them is Jewish and the other one is Catholic. And they got married in the 60s when that really wasn't done. (laughs) You know, there's like quite that was that was when it was new it really isn't a new thing and if you're scared or feeling a bit daunted by it that's totally normal I mean would you say that that's something that you're experiencing as well with your couples I don't think and I think this is a really important point I don't think this is new at all I think the industry is waking up to Mm. what they need to do to cater for everybody and the whole world is so much more open these days to everybody's thoughts and feelings and beliefs and cultures and being sensitive to that I keep on saying that word because it's so important at the moment that we are respectful towards everybody and therefore I think that actually you'll find that we're playing catch up to how the world is working and that this is not new it's just more apparent now because we want to see so much vibrancy within our couples we want to like we want to embrace everything that they're about and we're making weddings so much more personal now that people mm. are open to embracing all of these different elements into one day. The, where I would extend from that is that I do think people are getting bolder in their choices. So previously, I would say if you were going to blend, it would be a very traditional blend. So exactly a ceremony as you would expect it in one culture, exactly a ceremony as you would expect it in another. Or it would be, you know, this particular event or this particular day of events is going to be very dedicated to one side of the family, one culture. And then we're going to do another day of events. It's going to be very dedicated on its own to another. So that's how we will honor everything. Whereas now, um, and I was actually just speaking with a bride this morning before this call, um, where one of them is of an English heritage, the other is of an Indian heritage. They are doing a combination. They're doing a two day event and they've got a church wedding and a Indian reception on one of the days and they've got the Hindu ceremony and a very sort of um, casual outdoor um, more of a nod to the English traditions happening in terms of their reception style um, on day one so they have actually completely (laughs) blended the days so that they're experiencing both cultures on the same day so when I say people are getting bolder I think that the couples are getting to a stage where they're like well actually this is who we are. This is what we like doing. And um, they're more prepared, I would say, now to have those conversations with family and say, well, this is what we would like to, to do or this is how we would like to do it. But we are going to honour both things. I just think that people are getting bolder with what they enjoy and remembering that a lot of people who are British born and have heritages from all over the globe, they consider themselves to be British as well. So within very, very good point. Mm, um, yeah, they absolutely. are both British and work from wherever else. <laughs> so yeah, I um, love that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely love that. Well, that brings us nicely on to our next question. What is the first step? So say say myself and my partner, we've just gotten engaged and we're from totally different cultural backgrounds, or maybe even some similar cultural backgrounds, but they've got they've got different elements to them. How do I approach wedding planning? Um, Assuming those initial stages are probably going to take a bit more time. Mm. So, um, Nina, do you want to go first on this, actually? Sure, then. (laughs) You go. You go. go. I'm I'm talking a lot. (laughs) No, that's good. I'm loving how passionate you are. I'm saying to script, just so we're all clear here. I'm really not. Right. Very true. True to form. <laughs> I think so quiet. Not normally. Um, 
Okay, so I think this is actually what's really important. And another thing that was yeah. really coming through is that we're talking about family. Family yes. is essential to all of this. It is where mm. it starts, but it's where it comes from. So mm. it's a really easy first step, right? And that is to talk to your family. Start with the basics on this and make sure that you get their buy-in and you set their expectations from the very, very start. And that's so, so important. For example, with my wedding, the very basics was what day of the week it was going to start on. Like, mm. where, where are we at with that? And my grandma asked me not to do it on a Saturday. Okay. So there we go. That ruled out mm. a lot of dates <laughs> that, I had not, that I hadn't thought of until I'd spoken to her. Um, and again, that was, that was her request. That was coming from her. I would have happily got married on a Saturday because I'm Jewish, but the way that I conduct myself and the way that I respect my faith, doesn't, that doesn't integrate and that doesn't come part of my, my week. So, but for her, that was really important. So mm. my expectation and my boundary was set from the very, very start. But also then looking at what traditions can be included and what can be left out of your day that your family would feel comfortable with, that you have honoured and respected, again, that word, um, your culture, your heritage, your faith. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, understanding that there are definitely things that could be left out. And then one of the things that I really love and I think is where both families come together, which is super important, mm. is the fun stuff. And normally that's mm. around the dancing, right? So that's a really good part where not only are you starting with the basics in terms of looking at what your family's expectations are, but also then seeing how your families can then blend themselves and come together and how to break that ice. And I think dancing is a really, really good one um, when it comes to that. Looking at your guests, are there people that your family feels should be invited that you might not necessarily mm. have thought of? The that's guest always list. A <laughs> <laughs> and that massively influences yeah. so much at the beginning, looking at your venue, you know? So not only we knuckle down like the day of the week or the time of the year or something along those lines that it can or can't happen on, but also what are their expectations in terms of how many people you should be inviting and who should yeah. be inviting? So getting all that basic stuff done at the beginning yeah. will really, really mm. help. I'm going to follow through this, this point about expectations, if I may. Um, yeah, please do. So <laughs> what is really interesting, um, so this randomly happened, as in we didn't plan for this to happen recently, but we had an inquiry where um, we ended up speaking to the father of the groom first. He was the person that inquired. He's Indian and lives in India still. His son lives in the States and his daughter-in-law-to-be is from the States, lives in the States of a Christian background. We ended up speaking to the father of the groom first. He explained what he thought the wedding was going to be about, etc. He then asked us to speak with the bride and groom. We spoke with them together, but separate to the parents. And then the bride and groom asked us to speak with her parents separately. So this was a very interesting exercise. And the reason mm. I'm sharing this story is because in speaking with the various different parties, we were able to sort of understand um, what people really wanted. So we're not talking about sort of, you know, the very specifics about a ceremony that they wanted to see. We're talking about, for example, the mother of the bride was saying she really just wants to have like an hour of a moment where she can hang out with her daughter on the day. The father of the bride was saying, I don't really mind what ceremony they host. I would just love to be able to walk my daughter down the aisle, which is possible in both traditions, right? But he wasn't mm. aware of what was and was not possible. So they were talking to us in this context in terms of the key things that if they sort of strip back everything in terms of specifics around ceremony, specifics around, you know, tradition, etc. If they think about what they would really love to have or experience with their daughter's wedding, that's what they were talking to us about. And it was actually a really lovely conversation. Um, and at the end of it, all of what they wanted, they could have had, whether they hosted a Hindu wedding, whether they hosted a Christian wedding, they could have had everything. But the parents didn't know this. And, and, and this is the point that I'm making. It's, it's quite important to have these conversations with family um, and to try and get underneath exactly what sort of what the deal breakers might be for them or exactly what the key things are that they are looking to have because remembering from the minute you were born probably they've been imagining your wedding <laughs> <laughs> very true <laughs> so they have especially depending and depending on the culture that you come from weddings will be a huge deal in your family and in your in your in your culture so I'm genuinely not lying when I say <laughs> that they may have been imagining this since you were a child. <laughs> um, and so when you've come home and you've said, mom, I've fallen in love with whomever, um, and it means that we are going to have a blended wedding of some variety, they are going through their own process of letting go and sort of welcoming in this, this, this new um, 
uh, aspect to the wedding day that they might never have envisaged before. So you kind of got to give them a little bit of room <laughs> to adjust. Mm. I've experienced it like personally myself with our mm. wedding. Like it, it takes a bit of time to adjust. Um, so it's, it's just really important to, to really have those conversations because your wedding planning journey will be awful, <laughs> truthfully awful, if you don't try and bring your family along for the ride. But you've got to kind of do it in a respectful and gentle fashion in some ways. Mm. And some parents will be more sort of hard and fast about what they want than others. Others will be super relaxed about it and, and brilliant. Kudos to you um, and, you know, all the best. But for those of you who are having a slightly more difficult experience, <laughs> um, mm. do sit down and have a conversation with them. Like it, it may not be the thing that you want to do, but you don't want to have a wedding, surely, where your parents just don't bother to turn up if you've got a good relationship with them. Um, oh, God, you know, let's not go that far, shall we? it it has it has cropped up um it has cropped up and I I say I say it because we do know of parents who have flat out refused to attend a wedding um so Mm. you know and that's not why this is important but this is why this is important because if you have those conversations at the start and you set those expectations you can then use that as leverage so if then somebody does turn around later on and says okay I'm not cool with this I want this this and this you can be like well I'm sorry relative um but you didn't tell me that this hasn't been you know we're too far down the line now and we we tried Mm. to establish these these things with you at the very beginning so it does actually give you a little bit of leverage if later on things aren't going too well that you actually have put the effort in to try and make sure that this works for everybody but also I'm just going to bring it back to one point before we move on and say that don't forget this is your day it's true so Mm. although we do have to and very much when we're looking at faiths and cultures respect Um, our families our friends you know wants and needs and that goes across every wedding because we're trying to make sure everybody's happy on your wedding day whether it be Mm. down to a catering for you know gluten-free or vegan meal or blending traditions within a ceremony or something like that at the end of the day this is your day and whatever happens you have to look back on your day and feel that you thoroughly enjoyed every aspect of it and that it represented you both so Mm. although we are absolutely rabbiting on about respect sensitivity family and how important they are all to a fusion wedding never ever lose sight of the fact that this is your wedding day exactly that and and to a degree fight for it like you know you don't like have those conversations but openly have those conversations Mm. do not do the ostrich maneuver I guess is the message here (laughs) do not (laughs) stick your head in the sand and think it's going away it's not going away (laughs) and you know you spend a lot of money on a wedding you know, you really? want to be like happy with how your money is being spent or how your parents' money is being spent, however you're yeah. funding this. You know, it you know, you want to be sure that what you've spent your money on is going to reflect just you and your partner. And you yeah. want to look back on your photos or your wedding video afterwards and go, you know what, that was a bloody brilliant day. I really yeah. enjoyed that. That was that was the Absolutely. best possible day that we could have had. That's where it's really key. Which brings us nicely on to the point about being worried about family members who might be a little bit more restrictive than mm. others or are very strict followers of a certain belief or cultural mm-hmm. tradition. Um, how do you handle that? And I, I mean, I know that we've talked about talking, but there might not be any room for manoeuvre. So what do we do about that kind of thing? So I think you have to decide how important that is to you. Mm-hmm. Um, And if it is something that is incredibly important to you, then you will need to figure out a way to make it work. Um, But if it's something that you really don't want and you're okay with the consequence of not wanting it, carry on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it very much goes back again to setting their expectations, actually. Um, But speaking to those guests, and I do see this quite a bit actually within Jewish weddings because there are different levels of orthodoxy within Judaism. So you will have some family that um, will keep strictly kosher and then you may have some people who are more liberal with their faith like I am or something along those lines and actually it's again about having conversations with them and talking to them about what would make them feel comfortable at their wedding you want them to be part of it you want them to fully embrace how you're going to be living your life and hopefully they respect that but actually what can you do to make them a little bit more comfortable on your day Um, Mm. and is it that actually for, for that example that they don't want to eat the kosher food that's coming out because it's still not kosher enough for them but therefore you're going to get it in from an outside caterer in a different way or something along those lines Mm -hmm. it's just about talking and it's about communicating and it's about making sure that everybody is on the same page but that you have taken into consideration people's um, thoughts and feelings and beliefs Mm -hmm. and it may be that 
if you're open with people, so if you're aware that someone has a very strict view on something and they wish for you to uphold that as part of your wedding celebrations and you have decided for whatever reason that actually it's not something that you wish to do and you've, you, you know, have be open with them about it because it may be that they decide okay I love you but I'm not coming and that might be okay too and it might actually be better for everybody and you can do something separate with them to celebrate it's not the end of the world necessarily mm. if um if people don't come but the last thing you want is for someone to turn up not knowing <laughs> you know <laughs> what they want and you know you're not doing it <laughs> and you know how close they are to you and you know that they're likely to go and have a conversation with your parents <laughs> yeah. and so your parents are going to get it in the neck so you know it's much better not to have that happen on the physical day <laughs> or yeah, days absolutely. of your wedding event absolutely um so I think this is where we're going with this when we talk about communication we sound like therapists um oh, we are aren't we I think that's what our job is like pretty sure certainly over the pandemic it was it certainly was yes oh yeah <laughs> And that brings us now into the sort of second half of this podcast. We've talked about why we're talking about this, the sort of key problems, but what about actually starting to plan that day? How would you suggest a couple start planning their days? Would you say there is a, an easier element of the wedding that they can control first or that could be planned first? Um, who wants to start on this one? Personally, I think there are a few places that are... The, you get the biggest bang for buck let me put it that way when, okay. when you're planning so food hugely popular place to kind of fuse things because mm -hmm. who doesn't like to eat <laughs> um, so you know it, it is one of those things with food and drink it is definitely a place where flavor is everything if you think about weddings especially when you're talking about uh, hosting if you invited people over to your house you're normally going to feed them so it's just it's a very sort of known place to kind of host people and to make them feel welcome in your environment so playing with the different food types is is an incredible thing to do and there are various different ways that you can do that but I'd say food is a huge topic um, because you can you can just do so much with it then you've got um, entertainment and then you've got I would say decor is sort of behind that but I'd say food and entertainment are the big two areas to do most of the fun stuff um, mm -hmm. and to really be able to bring traditions together whereas uh, the decor side of things it does I think it's more of a finishing touch actually but actually there's a lot you can still do with decor to kind of really lend itself to to, to one culture or another just going a bit more deeper into what Latoya has spoken about if we look at food for example and let's say that you're trying to blend two different kinds of food backgrounds is look at the different parts of your day mm. so the, the big thing I would, would suggest is that where you're having your kind of main reception main meal wedding breakfast type scenario that's where you want to incorporate the food that the most amount of people are going to eat mm -hmm. um, and I look at Indian catering then and how spicy it is and things like that and if we're coming from a, a typically English background they might not be able to tolerate the levels of spice that half of the family are coming from might be able to that's quite common mm. I've spoken previously about how I've got a wedding this year who are incorporating Indian catering and also a roast dinner. Um, <laughs> can't wait to see how that one's going to come off. <laughs> Just on that topic, Nina, I think it raises a point that even if you do something like that, still be aware if there's certain meat types, for example, that one side mm. of the family does not eat. So if you're going to do what Nina's described that one of her couples is doing, try not to serve beef and pork <laughs> if you can help it. <laughs> um so very good point actually <laughs> there are lots of different uh religions and faiths that actually those are the two big meats that don't get eaten so actually mm. you might save yourself some some problems there if you just yeah, avoid definitely. those yeah it's not but saying no to a roast dinner but maybe go with a chicken or a lamb yeah <laughs> conversations that will happen as you start talking about what you're doing with your family and things like mm. that but also when it comes to food is look at the parts of the day where it's a choice so, mm. for example, if you're having a drinks reception with some form of canapé, then this is where you can blend it because people can then choose what they want, right? Mm. And in the evening, if you're having any kind of late night snacks, again, you can choose. Still be sensitive to the type of foods that you're providing. So, again, um, going back to what we just talked about, you know, you might not want to provide pork or something along those lines. But um, it's a way of kind of starting to encompass 
different cultures so mm. for example I had a wedding recently where they wanted Italian food for the mains which was amazing but in the evening they changed it up slightly and did something a bit more traditional and then they also had like baklava and things like that again blended everything from every family and brought it throughout the day but making sure that the main part of the day where the food is being provided is something that the majority of people are going to be eating and then when mm-hmm. people can pick and choose what they want that's where you can have some fun and play mm-hmm. when it comes to entertainment as I hit on like dancing this is such a big part it's Mm. so much fun it breaks the ice it brings the families together um I've done a Asian wedding um where I had um Asian families from an English background doing a Kaylee dancing in the evening which was amazing and um all of his cousins and his uncles and everyone were in kilts and I had um the bride's uncles who were all Scottish, they were teaching them how to tie up their shoes and put everything on properly. And it was just this wonderful mm. thing to see was how everyone was helping each other um, with dress and with the dancing later on. I've had Christians doing Israeli dancing. And even just last week, I had a bride who was Turkish Cypriot and they were doing traditional folk dancing with a testi, which is a clay pot that you smash. And his family is Italian. So all of the Italians were getting involved with this dancing and it was just wonderful. And the excitement from the other side of the family when they can see people who aren't from their culture or their faith getting yeah. involved is so good. They love it. They want to teach you. They want to get involved and it yeah. breaks the ice. It's just a wonderful thing to experience. It is. And even musical instruments is another place. Yeah. Um, so we've just done one, um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. And in the evening they had a doll player which is a drum a type of drum they had two of those people playing alongside the DJ with a saxophonist as well um (laughs) and it became a bit of a it's a bit of a performance so although people can still dance to the music because it's music that you recognize that's the other thing is it's it's music that people will recognize um it also meant that those people who are maybe not avid dancers could still be on the dance floor and you know just doing a little bit of big box little box if you like Uh, but (laughs) being able to sort of be in amongst it and watch a performance as well and you're getting to enjoy a little bit of someone else's culture do you know what you just remind me I had a doll drummer um at a Jewish in a synagogue so it wasn't just yeah you just remind me so it wasn't just that they were at a venue and they were blending I actually had um the bride had a friend who was a doll drummer and he brought the drum and on the way out as everyone was singing and the Hava Nagila he started with the drum (laughs) He, he literally said, I've listened to it a bit on YouTube. Like, he just made it up and went with it. And it yeah. was amazing. Like, these are the kind of things that are incredible. You can do it. Like, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Absolutely. It makes me think of, like, you know, my big fat Greek wedding where they get the family involved in the in the sort of dancing around in the circle. And that that's exactly when it just becomes that. a massive, joyous yeah. moment for them. And I've also seen it in, in photos and videos uh, for couples doing uh, the money dance. That is, that's mm-hmm. amazing when you watch them back. Yeah. It really there's, is a lot of fun. There's just, there's so much, like, so one of the things that I've always loved is like the entrances that couples and um, families do into the reception. Um, so I know it's quite popular with um, uh, sort of Nigerian and African weddings. And actually, as I've recently found out, Caribbean weddings, they kind of do that too. Um, you'd think I'd know something about a Caribbean wedding, <laughs> wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> I know um but um the, the point being it's something that I've actually seen filtering across as well to um more Asian weddings um so Asian weddings you may have like family entrances and normally it's got it, there's music playing um as the families enter but this sort of vibe of people f- like full-on dancing into the room and doing their own little little thing um I have seen that filtering across a little bit more as well and remembering that receptions are receptions there's there's, there's not really an awful lot of sort of formal elements to a reception for most people's receptions so the things that you can do in a reception um you can do a lot more there than you might be able to do around the ceremony Mm. let me put it that way (laughs) um but yeah have fun with it have fun with it and if you can and this is going to be I don't mean for this to be a plug but if you do wish to work with somebody who can help you kind of execute these ideas and you do have the ability to afford that, 
definitely consider doing it um, because you just don't know. So where Nina and I are just talking about examples here of just things that have happened with the couples that we've worked with, we happen to know this because this is what we do. And this is our Absolutely. job. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, you can't really put a price on something like that where actually, you know, you have helped them to a certain yeah. extent that they've managed to actually execute an event that mm. they have, you know, been dreaming of for a yeah. really long time. And then suddenly, because they've fallen in love with this other person that is from a different culture or different religion, they've gone, oh, might need to rethink that. Yeah. And just how to navigate it. And yeah. these types of conversations that we're having, um, if you're the only person in your family that has ventured you know, into this realm, you may not have other people in your family you can speak to about how to do this. But so also you might be the first person to do mm -hmm. it. It's not the, or you might be the first person to go down that particular faith or culture mm. outside of your own absolutely that's, that's quite a big statement to make oh, um, yeah. and that can be quite hard and actually just having that sounding board from someone so you have the evidence almost to go to your family and be like right well I've spoken to my planner my wedding coordinator whoever it might be they've done it before and they've done it like this and it worked yeah. really well because of a b and c and almost like we give you the confidence and the backing to go and have those quite difficult conversations sometimes yeah. um I feel like we're making this out to be too much doom and gloom there are definitely families who are so like oh, yes. oh my god whatever you want just yeah 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 here's all the money we're going to throw at you to make this amazing <laughs> event. Like, you know, yeah, I wish yeah. there was more of them, but like, it can be amazing. And there are absolutely families who are very, very open to this, but it is new territory. So yeah. if there's anything that we can do to make that new territory just a little bit safer for people, that's what we try and do. Yeah, so I think just, just to my final bit on this point, just leading on to what Nina was saying there, is that, that like, for the most part, would say... I would say that the majority of our weddings that we've had that have been a blend have been very fun to be involved mm -hmm. in. Um, they have been, we've been speaking with families who have an openness to sort of how to do things. Um, I would say the one place that families do tend to be a little bit more, I'm going to say structured, that's the word I'm going to choose here, um, <laughs> is the ceremony. Mm -hmm. But having said that, um, for the most part, people have been really open about it. And where they haven't been, and there's been a journey to go on, we have been able to support people through that. Please don't think that your starting point is, oh my God, I'm going to be uphill from here onward. Mm. That is not always the case. And it's likely that you two will have been together for a little bit of time before you decide to get married. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's not like it's going to be new to the family that, you know, this person is in your life. Um, for the most part, just be open-minded. And I, I guess the point being, it's not going to be what everybody, like if your parents will have been thinking about your wedding for a long time. And I think that's probably the point I would come back to. And it's, it's, a, it's a case of helping them to adjust um, to that they may not be getting all of what they, they might have thought that they're having, especially if they're the bill payer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that goes all the way back to that initial communication, Absolutely. set out what the key expectations are and yeah. what what the non-negotiables are yeah. for those people also extending from that though is not only just looking at what their expectations are but introducing what the other family's expectations oh, sure. are yeah. and also introducing them to what the, those elements like what how this works because as Latoya mentioned earlier in her example um the other side of the family didn't know about the other side of the family so mm. and it turned out that it was all fine mm. and they could everybody could have what they wanted but because you might find they don't know maybe, what they don't know exactly your family might not have done the the research into their family's cultures or beliefs or whatever it might be and and therefore that actually you need some education about that mm. too so yeah. again it's opening up everybody's eyes which is yeah. wonderful like that's a that's a hugely um welcoming experience to say you know um going to someone else's family and saying this is my background this is my heritage this is how we work and these are why we have these traditions because it comes back to respecting our elders it comes back to signifying that our worlds are coming together or you know explaining why you're doing those things again just getting everybody buy-in from all mm. sides can make for a much happier day if everyone understands yeah. what's going on which also goes back to little that you can bring on and we we touched on this very quickly in terms of decor and how to introduce decor but I know that Latoya and I have both done weddings where we will have like the order of service, for example, will actually be far more detailed and have explanations mm. um, as to why these things are happening. Yeah. 
So even if we've got our secular friends attending these weddings, then our friends will know why we're doing these things. Mm. And the other side of the family will understand the other side of the family. Mm -hmm. And all of this stuff, it's just again about getting those expectations. It's about explaining and understanding Mm. everything that communication is really important. And again, explaining why you've got certain elements of decor, why you've chosen certain colors for your flowers or why you've chosen certain flowers, for example. they all have me, they might come from a country. It could be something as simple as, um, you know, I might have a Welsh heritage, therefore I want daffodils. Like, yeah. <laughs> it could be something very, very simple that we're all very aware of. But actually, there might be people in the room who have come from another country and don't know that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, just introducing all of these elements as part of your day and having that explanation really helps as well. What I've found over the years is it's actually quite surprising how similar things are across mm. all weddings. Um, so you may do it in a different way so for example we are used to in Britain exchanging rings in an Indian Hindu ceremony you will exchange a garland of flowers so you know Mm. it's very the symbolism is very similar even though you are doing it differently so the concept of um, giving away of a bride although it is a bit archaic to be honest but the concept (laughs) of it does exist in in, in most weddings in most Mm. wedding cultures Um, Mm. the concept of sort of unifying each other through the giving of and, and receiving sort of the exchanging of something is there um, there's a lot of stuff that is very very similar we just maybe do it in different ways <laughs> yeah that's a really really good point and I think as well with the the whole explaining everything and giving guests and your families even more details actually yeah. just adds to the personal side of it really doesn't yeah. it because you know we, I could I could have a wedding and sort of my partner and I could have table names of um, different places that Absolutely. we've been, right? But what stops you from having the different national flowers and what stops you from explaining all of those different details to guests so that mm. it really becomes a personal experience and even more memorable, which I think yeah. is really important. It's about you two at the end of the day, right? And you want people to walk into your wedding and go, I know exactly whose wedding this is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so we'll move on to the next question which you know I would say that the venue is probably for me one of the most important parts when I plan a wedding but would you say when it comes to a fusion wedding or an interfaith mm-hmm. wedding that it's one of the most important parts of that because here at Guide to Brides we get asked so many different questions from couples and a lot of the time it's about can you help me find a specific venue that can fit my needs? So a hotel with a capacity of 600 or a country house that can do a fire ceremony, um, just to give a couple of examples Mm. there. But how do you go about finding the right venue that will allow for your interfaith or mixed cultural needs? So it's it's a really (laughs) hard question. Um, So if you're doing this yourself, it is a really, it's, it's the starting point. It's the anchor for the whole wedding um, because wherever you're going to host it, you will have the limitations that come with that space. So things you'll need to think about is you, you need to think very, very early on about generally what you're hoping to achieve with the day, generally how you might wish for the day to flow, what sorts of things you might wish to incorporate. Have a wish list. It doesn't mean you're going to do all of it and it doesn't mean you're going to do all of it in that order, but you kind of need to have an idea of the types of things that you would like to be able to do throughout the day because until you know that and broadly you guess out, but until you know that type of stuff, it's very difficult to select the venue. Um, and I cannot tell you how many times we have had couples who've booked a venue, then come to us, then we start getting into the detail of it and go, oh, I want to do this. And it's like the venue is not going to allow you. Nina is nodding like I'm oh, so enthusiastic. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah, this wasn't you know the venue what? for you if that's what you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> But do you know why? And this is, it's so infuriating because actually it goes back to, there's two things here. The infuriation is because, as I said before, we as an industry are waking up to something pretty late on. And what Mm. we're hoping is that, you know, lots of venues are open to adapting and accommodating um, specific needs where it's possible for them to actually do it. So maybe like with the fire um, for a Hindu ceremony is actually have an explanation as to what the fire is, how long it's alight for, how big this fire is, and, and what happens around the fire, just putting the venue at ease that it's not a huge It's fire not a bonfire. No, it's not a bonfire. <laughs> it's very small, it's very contained. And if a venue yeah. like the Savoy can do it, then I would like to think that more venues can mm. do that. 
And that's the frustrating part. The other reason why I'm kind of like agreeing with this so much is because going back to what we said originally about making sure you understand the nuances of your day before you book your Correct. venue is so important for a blended fusion wedding, like so important. So when you're looking at things like food, if you have got to get specific catering in, will your venue accommodate that? Will they allow for um, halal, kosher, whatever it might be? And dry hire is not the same across all venues. So even if they mm. tell you it's dry hire, you need to understand what that means. Ask more questions. Yeah. <laughs> and it is about looking at the capacities of the room and they accommodate your numbers, right? Yeah. And this one really gets me is you might say, okay, well, I've spoken to my family actually i know that we're going to be looking at 250 people this venue can host 250 people great but oh we're going to have dancing in between each course or we're going to have big dancing to come in or actually my friends are putting on a dance um just after the mains and before dessert or anything on those lines does that capacity allow for that dance yep. space mm. as well as your 250 guests because nine times out of ten it doesn't we're halfway through having these conversations about how the logistics of the day are going to work. And they're like, oh yeah. And I come in, I'm like, well, where's the dance floor going to go? This is yeah. at full capacity for this. And yet we've got huge dancing going on between the courses. Yeah. So those are the kind of conversations you'd have at the beginning. And just, mm -hmm. just to go on from that, it's also things like, are you wishing to have your bar in the room? Because if you right. are, then you need to accommodate for the space to have a physical bar unit in the room, plus your dance floor, plus your tables. Your capacity at 250 is no longer 250. <laughs> if you are looking to have a ceremony on a stage, that is different to having a registrar turn up and you have a table at the front of the room and that's the amount of space requirement that you have. These stages are gonna be a good 16 foot by 16 foot minimum. So, mm. you know, if, if the venue is telling you you can have 250 people seated theater style, you probably cannot when you put that stage in. <laughs> so <laughs> also going back to your bar comment okay well is there a bar in the room that is going to be in the same room as having your man up if yep. so we've got a problem you know because we can't potentially have the in the room. potentially it's, yeah it's these kind of nuances that yeah. you need to look at and it's all about that initial conversation so when we're looking at possibly having a secular civil ceremony um your we love this don't we so we can never find a, a way of describing your typical <laughs> no. English white wedding cookie <laughs> cutter type wedding when we find the appropriate place for that we'll let the world know but when when you're having that these are the, you do not need to think in this level of detail so no. early on at no. all and even um, corkage is another one so they may yeah. be allowing you to bring in your own caterer it may be that you have to get the bar through them or they charge you corkage we have had people trying to charge like 15 pound a bottle even for a bottle of beer like you need to think about this and I know that a lot of um, weddings where you're blending and you're blending with some some other mix of something that's not your traditional English wedding um, alcohol may be important in a, in a way that's different <laughs> to what you would have at an English wedding <laughs> so, yeah. you know. but also what does that corkage include is it mm -hmm. just beer and wine because then actually you're going to have to have a conversation with your venue and say About well look spirits. it's actually really important that my spirits mm -hmm. are available to my family and mm -hmm. that my uncles want whiskey and you know <laughs> this is don't they just and yeah. it, you know, these are the kind of conversations yeah I want whiskey at the end of a wedding um these are the kind of conversations <laughs> you need to have you do really early yeah. on because depending on it, your blend you need to think this through you have yeah. to think it through um, and this the other one I wanted to mention is around multiple room spaces so if you're planning mm -hmm. to host a ceremony have a and have some sort of a meal after and then have a break and then people come back for the evening events where you're going to have a big old reception. You need to think about what's going to happen with these, these people, these guests that you're inviting. Do you have to turn a room around or do you wish to be finding a venue that has two spaces of a similar sizing that would allow you not to do that? What are your guests going to do in between if they would like to change their outfit, which happens a lot? Um, then mm. where will they do that? Are you expecting yeah. them to go home, but you're hosting your venue, you're hosting something in the middle of nowhere? Mm. <laughs> um, like, very what is point. going to be happening is there going to be a changing room available for guests do you need a male and a female changing room like just a variety of things that you will need to be thinking about <laughs> and I think that's a really important one when it comes to changing and I know that a lot of the weddings that I do you because you're dropping certain traditions so for me it might be that actually not everyone's changing just the couple are changing yes but the message hasn't quite filtered down 
Mm. So all of a sudden I've got 20, 30 guests who have disappeared <laughs> and I'm about to do call to sit because the food's ready. Everybody else is ready. The couple have changed, but I'm, I'm down. I'm down guest. Like this venue has <laughs> entered out quite significantly. And I don't know where these people have gone. So actually, again, when looking at your traditions, it might be good just not just talking with your immediate family, but also spreading the word and putting in your invites or on your wedding website. What is it that you're going to be doing? And just making sure that maybe some of your more elderly um, or traditional family understand what you've incorporated and mm. what you've not. So yeah. when I do come to do call to sit, I haven't lost 30 guests who have gone to change unnecessarily because that wasn't going to be part of this day. And therefore, mm. they're just going to have to eat when they arrive because I'm not putting back my whole wedding just for them. Mm. Like it's these kind of things actually that you have yeah. these conversations and you put the word out there. Just that little bit wider yeah. than just your immediate yeah. family. But you need to think about this stuff when you're booking your mm. venue. Please think about <laughs> this stuff when you're booking your venue. Otherwise, you will end up with a venue that you may love, but it cannot accommodate certain things that you wish to do. Mm. And therefore, if you had it in your mind at some point or you didn't or you decide later on that actually, you know, you just assume there's a lot of assumption <laughs> that goes mm. on yeah. with wedding couples. You've assumed it's going to be fine. Please don't assume. Um, if you're going for a venue that's a unique or historic venue, especially, do not mm. assume anything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because, I, I mean, you, I've, I've been to lots of museum wedding venues yes. that, you know, they, they actually physically can't have the fire ceremony because they can't isolate yeah. their fire alarms. It's just yeah. a logistical thing that, yeah. that's not possible. And there's nowhere for you to change. You're not changing no. in the middle of some yeah. sort of an exhibition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that would make for an exhibition, but, you know... <laughs> I think it's a really good point though in that like I've genuinely had couples and I know you have too Latoya mm. in that have booked a venue and then when we've got into the detail of it it actually physically doesn't work for their day yeah. but we're too far down the line yeah. and then the couple are having to compromise on things that they can't or never wished to be part of the, the yeah. boundaries that they set and the expectations that they set with everybody so actually this although we're kind of banging on about it this is actually a, a seriously important thing mm. to start thinking through very early and it might be quite frustrating because you know when you're at the very beginning stages of wedding planning you actually don't want to think into that much detail you're still looking at the big picture they're excited yeah. <laughs> they've just got engaged they're starting to look at venues like I get it I do yeah. get it but you do need to, when you're because we're specifically talking about blended fusion interface mm. etc it is something that does come onto the radar quicker yeah, yeah and also absolutely. you know you're not just going by like before you might have just previously been thinking about where I'm going to go on location and guest numbers and the maybe the style of venue I like like mm. whether it's a manor house or a barn or whatever it might be like that that was the that's kind of the big picture stuff that you kind of primarily want to think about at the very very beginning because you're in this beautiful bubble of mm. just having been got engaged and sharing the news with your family and friends but unfortunately because of the the more detail that comes with a, a fusion and blended wedding then we do have to kind of think about the nuances just far earlier on into the the wedding planning process which is a, I think probably the big takeaway from what we've been wrapping on about mm. is that you do have to think about the detail you have to talk about the detail you have to communicate the detail um, and you have to do that a lot sooner than you normally would. Mm -hmm. I actually wanted to add another question in here that I've been thinking about while we've been talking um, inviting people how do you go about inviting guests who may be a bit more traditional or maybe even just don't know what they're walking into here? You know, just how do you actually communicate that in your invitations on your wedding website? What kind of things can you be doing? So I know what Latoya is going to want to jump in on first of all. <laughs> go on, go on. More about, I'm going to say it's about who you're inviting first yeah. and right. looking at those numbers and then into how you invite them like right there is a big change and a big shift in the numbers that are coming to weddings now mm -hmm. um whereas traditionally your normal numbers might have been three to six hundred it might be now 150 to 250 whereas mm -hmm. your normal numbers may have been 250 it's now coming down to 100 and actually again having those conversations about how many people you feel comfortable having at your wedding mm. um, compared yeah. to what's expected <laughs> it's the first conversation yeah. to have we call those guest list negotiations <laughs> <laughs> and you've got your vips 
you've got your mm-hmm. VIPs, you know, you're very important people that you cannot not get married without. You've got the people that your family consider VIPs, yeah. and then you've got your friends who your family yeah. might not consider VIPs at all, but to you are. It's about having those conversations first, because also not only do you have to talk about the communication of how to invite people and how to set their expectations, but also there's going to be some people that would expect to go. Yeah, mm. might not be invited. So what the, the, the couple of key things I would add to this is, um, number one, if you're having multiple events, maybe consider inviting different people to different events. So if, for example, a particular uh, event means a lot to the parents, maybe that gets filled with their guests. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. We had a couple many years ago who they had, before they were even engaged, they'd attended, they'd attended a wedding or something. Anyway, they had made this decision that they were going to have 35 people at their civil ceremony and they wanted to host it at Cleveland House. So they told their parents this and because they weren't engaged yet, they, their parents were told, they were forewarned, but they probably didn't process it completely. Anyway, <laughs> the time rolled around. They absolutely had 35 guests and it was a Clevedon house. But then it meant that their main ceremony, as in their, their Asian wedding ceremony, ended up being about 300, 350 people, something like that. So that was, that was the negotiation they had, is we want a really tiny civil, but you can do what you want with our Indian ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're having multiple events, that might be how you get around it. We've got a couple at the moment we're working with, and they have had to essentially create two receptions. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, where after a civil ceremony, they're hosting a dinner with dancing of some variety. Um, and it's a reception because there are some guests who are only going to attend that day. Then they're hosting also another ceremony and they'll have a big reception after that too. So at least those people who are just attending one of the events is still going to get some sort of a reception. So this is the negotiation they've had to have. And so one of those events is going to be more attended by their friends and another of the events is going to be more attended by family. It's, it's a very, it, it, negotiations will exist. Like it's, it's a thing, people, it's going to happen. If it hasn't started already, it is coming. Um, but <laughs> that is one thing you can do is you can think about the various events that you're hosting and then have different guests at different ones. And that extends your guest list and gets everybody invited to something. One thing I will say that you definitely should never do <laughs> <laughs> because it feels awful um do not invite anybody to a hen or a stag do that's not invited to a wedding event please god don't do that um yeah. uh, so does um, anyone actually do that does that happen oh it happens oh it happens nasty. please don't mm. do that um so yeah so that's 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 what i would say and then um uh yeah Nina, Nina's absolutely right like the guest list numbers are changing these days and the other thing to bear in mind is that venues that can host certain capacities if you're if you're needing like over 200 250 people um it will slim down the venues that you can host your wedding at also then thinking about so once you've kind of done that work and you, you've done the negotiation side is mm. how you communicate that can be quite mm. tricky um and it is about adapting how you communicate to who you're addressing Um, some you might have to keep quite more traditional for people who are older for Mm -hmm. example and they might need a bit more explanation as to the other side of your family that Mm -hmm. is coming together and how this is now working spend time with people it's a lovely way like with Mm. your grandparents for example you know if you're fortunate enough to have them at your wedding go and have a cup of tea with them go and spend some time with them explain to them how this is going to work in detail and how and get them get their buy-in get them excited about what you're doing and then also things like wedding websites like they are so good for putting all that information on having that explanation early also things like dress yeah if you're expecting your guests to dress in a certain way this needs a lot of explanation where they can go what's appropriate mm-hmm. what's not appropriate Latoya yeah. has this all the time and it's it's about making sure that that is absolutely kind of clear. understood and respected and yeah. clear and yeah yeah so we've had people who've used images um, of different okay. attires, they've, they've said you can wear a shawani, and then they've put an image on it, an image of it on the website. They've given links to people as to where to shop. If you would like to wear Indian Asian attire, this is how you can do it. We have had people who have just said, "Bring, just turn up in your traditional dress," which was quite fun mm-hmm. because this particular person had people coming from all over the world, and so you know, you, whatever you would wear to an not even an Asian wedding, whatever you would wear to an, to a wedding, wear that. That's that's a really cool way of doing yeah. that, actually, isn't it? I love that idea. It was it was a really nice idea. I really loved that they did that. You can also like the the difference between digital and printing for invitations. Mm-hmm. So we're mm-hmm. seeing a lot more people going digital, but it may be that there are certain VIP members of the family that get a printed version. So we are having people who do digital for everybody, and then they maybe print fifty invitations. 
again, we can think about communication and what to do during the ceremonies as well. Mm. So it isn't just about how we're going to invite people, but explaining as well what they should do at that time. Do they stand up? Do they sit down? Do they bow their heads? So we had um, I've done several Chinese tea ceremonies now where they've wanted both sides of the family to come and participate in the Chinese tea ceremony. So there's been an explanation to them first about when they drink the tea, when they hand over the tea, at what point they hand the money, what kind of things they're meant to be saying and talking about at this point, who sits and who stands, all these kind of things that can be explained beforehand, which will also mean that your guests and your family and friends go a lot more comfortable on the day. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you suggest that if there is a specific ritual or something like the Chinese tea ceremony that has all of these really important stages that, um, you know, you need to carefully, I wouldn't say cho- choreograph, but almost choreograph. Yeah, I think that depends on how big the wedding is yeah. as to, and if it's multi-day. Um, I would say that Latoya's wedding probably have far We've more. Never. No, never we don't. We don't. We don't. Okay, get <laughs> I'm sure never done one. Um, briefings like on the day briefings maybe or like briefings with um the, the person conducting the ceremony and the parents ahead of the days yes that absolutely will happen and they'll take them through what's going to be happening in the ceremony at what point the parent does x y or z where the parent is during this part of the ceremony etc but I would we've never done a rehearsal don't tell people okay. but we've never I'm done never- a rehearsal so I do think sometimes I wish I had though that would be nice to have the opportunity but there isn't very limited time isn't there leading up to a wedding but what I would say is that although there might not be a rehearsal there might be a best person Mm. groomsman bridesmaid however it might be who is on hand and understands every intricate detail of it so like I will always do my research and look into the types of of tradition that's taking place at the weddings that I'm I'm coordinating but I always do like hone in on the I don't know, the, the, the brother or the sister or someone who's, you know, immediate enough to understand what they want and how they're going to be doing it, which might be different to what I've read or what I've experienced or what I've had previously, as we've said, different ways of doing things and different, different traditions within traditions and faith and just become best friends with that person on the day, really, and just make sure yeah. that, you know, that there is always one person who's designated that can support mm. the coordination of the wedding mm. to happen. Yeah, that's a really really good point I mean Latoya you said earlier that you had a couple that were um, one side Bengali and the other side Gujarati like I wouldn't if I didn't do the research I wouldn't know that there are differences there but you can easily look up oh what does a Hindu wedding involve and but Mm -hmm. that might be completely wrong so you know you need someone that has the authority to really make be besties with you do and I think if you're if you're planning and coordinating your wedding yourself or within family Nina's absolutely right you need to think about which people in your family and friendship groups are going to be on point for different parts of the day so um if for example there is I'm just going to refer to it as like um tradition a happening Mm -hmm. then you need somebody who knows what tradition a is and who is involved in tradition a when tradition b or ceremony b happens you need somebody who knows and understands that who can be on point and who knows the faces of the people who might be involved in it please communicate with that communicate that with people enough time ahead do not do it the night before that is not sufficient time to get anybody prepped and ready to go and equally they may have had an expectation of turning up as you turning up as a guest at your wedding and actually you're asking them to perform a role so please <laughs> give them time to adjust um so they don't flat out refuse or they just turn up on the day and they just don't participate and if someone is going to be doing something after the evening reception has started and drinking has begun you need to make sure that they do know this kind of stuff in advance so that they don't get overly drunk too soon and then yeah. they don't perform their role properly or they decide to ad lib too much. That's not fun. <laughs> get very cringy. We don't like ad libbers. They mess with our timing. Ad libbers are not fun no. at all. But even if you haven't got a coordinator or a planner at your, your wedding, you will have someone on site who will yeah. be helping you with proceedings to some extent. But so they're not going to know is- the detail of things. No, it's going to know the ins and outs of your ceremonies and your traditions. So, yeah. And it might even be that you've designated somebody who is a family friend or something Mm. along those lines. It might not be that there's a person working that you may have designated a family member. So, it is just important that they understand whoever it is understands the level of intricacy with that part of that tradition, what you're doing, but who is the point person Mm -hmm. who absolutely does know what you're doing at that bit Mm -hmm. because there will be nuances that are different at each one. Yeah. 
and communicate anyone who's involved in a ceremony or tradition let them know before the day as well um yeah so that if it gets announced such and such a you know I don't know cousins I don't know whatever it is sisters brothers whatever it might be that need to get up at a certain point and do something make sure that they know that that means them <laughs> We have done a wedding where like the entire groom side just continued to sit down. They have been communicated with before, but one of us then had to run up and be like, this is you. (laughs) (laughs) So do let them know. (laughs) Absolutely. I think, I think we are coming to the end of this now, but the, we could probably talk about this for days, you know, there's just so much to cover. Um, Thank you both so much. I think the key point is communication, 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 talking, communicating with everyone involved in the wedding, all your direct family members, your, the people that are financially involved. Yes. Just make sure you actually communicate with them. Yeah. I don't, I feel like we could talk about this for months. Actually, (laughs) There's there's so much to do and so much to talk about. It is. You but, did ask yeah. us on Nikita, you knew what was coming. <laughs> yeah. right. no I go back to my earlier point, it's your own fault. <laughs> well, thank you so much to Nina and Latoya for joining me today. You can find their details in the show notes on guidesurprise.co.uk and in the caption below. It's been a fascinating discussion. And if you have any questions or any sort of comments that you want to to raise for it, please do message us and we'll pass them on to Nina and Latoya. I'm sure they'll be intrigued to see if there's anything that uh, comes up. Um, But do have a lovely rest of your day and happy wedding planning. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Guides for Brides, the wedding podcast. Head over to guidesforbrides.co.uk to continue your wedding planning and don't forget to like, follow and subscribe on our social media channels at Guides for Brides.